I haven't gone outside the door to uh, determine how much shoveling there's going to be, but I know there's at least three inches out there uh, where we live here in Belmont, Maine, and got to get those few things tidied up before I head off uh, and go up north uh, for our day up in Bangor today at New England Bible College and Seminary. Uh, did you get much down there, Don? That's what I'm curious about. And, uh, so anyway, what about Florida? How's Florida? Is Florida nice and toasty warm? Probably compared to here. I haven't looked at the temperature this morning, but it has been in the teens here mornings of late as I've gotten up and gotten going. And, uh, I'm sorry if I have hat head, I'm going to acknowledge I've, had a hat on already this morning, and uh, 
So I might have hat head just a little bit, but not going to worry about that, especially as we move on over into the text of Scripture. And, uh, oh, your age. Okay. And, um, in fact, a little beyond your age, huh? 50? So uh, anyway, we're going to Luke chapter four is where we have been working uh, in the last last week on Friday. We're in Luke chapter four. Uh, today we pick back up in Luke chapter four uh, and begin to see Jesus as he begins to do miracles. And uh, now, you know, some have a theology that, that he's going to do always do miracles all the time for us uh, and. Uh, you know, as we pray, he's going to make everything good, take away all the hurt, take away all the pain, take away all the sickness, take away all the suffering, take away. Some have that theology. However, as you read the scriptures from stem to stern, uh, stem to stern, you just don't see that uh, played out that way. In fact, in my personal study in the Psalms, uh, I've been studying in a section the Psalms of Asaph. Now, Asaph was a, uh, a a musician, a choir director during the days of David, and then his uh, progeny, his his children, uh, most likely would carry on with that role uh, in the subsequent throughout the reign of the subsequent kings who would come. Because uh, you, as you're reading through, all of a sudden you you realize they're, they're Asaph is writing about captivity. Well, Asaph in David's day didn't live until the time of the captivity, so we know that some of the progeny or or writers in the Asaphic line, if you will, uh, musicians, choir directors would write, and, and what, what they struggled with is something that you and I struggle with, is some of the truths that we read in the scripture and then our experience that we have in life don't always match up. You know, thinking about the goodness of God and God always delivering his people and God always protecting his people and God. And the reason for that is Psalm 78. Psalm 78 gets into dealing with this interplay back and forth between God and man. God is good. God is great. God is merciful. God is all these things. Psalm 78. But yet you keep seeing a repeated uh, theme within that Psalm. But man does these sinful things. But man does these sinful things. But man forsakes the Lord. And so we see this back and forth. And and so Asaph and the writers of the Asaphic line are, uh, are writing about the struggle between, we know these truths about God are true, but yet this is our human experience. And friends, we have that human experience and, and suffering is, is pretty much a guarantee. In fact, let me show you a verse real fast. And this, this kind of sets up where we're going uh, in the book of Luke. Um, and this is a verse that not a lot of people look at uh, or talk about, but I, I think it's a significant formative verse. Ah, I know what's wrong. I'm in the wrong chapter. I'm thinking this verse isn't the verse I'm looking for. It's because I'm in the wrong chapter. Uh, there we go. This this will help. Book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 29 says this, For it has been granted on you, uh, to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe on him, but to also suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and 
now here that I still have. Notice what it says. It has been granted to you not only to believe, but to suffer. Suffering is a part of the Christian experience. Now, there is the suffering of illness and sickness and cancers and things like that. But then there is also the suffering that comes through persecution. And Paul suffered persecution. And you go back, you look at the prophets and the suffering of the prophets uh, and the hard things that happened to so many of the prophets. Uh, you go back and you look at the apostles and, and so many of them and the torture and the persecution that they suffering. You look at the Lord Jesus himself and the suffering that he would undergo. Suffering is a part of human experience and God does not exempt us from it. The promise is that in eternity there will be no longer suffering, sorrow, sickness, or pain. That is, that is the promise in eternity. But while we walk this sod, while we walk this earth, we will have struggle, we will have suffering, uh, and God will walk with us, together with us, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the sorrow, God will do that for us and with us. Now, this sets us up to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I have so much I want to talk about in this in this little section. We're in Luke chapter 4. Let me get us over there uh, and get us in a place, give you this view. Uh, Luke, we read last week as Jesus began his ministry and as we've been talking about his ministry, I mean, there was the baptism. That was kind of the beginning. He went to John and was baptized. Then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted and where he fasted for 40 days, where he was tempted by the devil, and he answered with Scripture. We noted then how he began his ministry in the, in the Galilee, in Nazareth, uh, and how he was rejected at Nazareth uh, because of of what he said verse 4 chapter 4 verse 22 I'm going to pick up there it says all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips isn't this Joseph's son they asked him they're thinking he's just a a tecton he is just a carpenter he is a stonemason uh, they worked with their hands. They built things, stone and wood, mostly stone. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is except in his hometown. I assure you that there are many, were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, save or but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Now, again, if you knew the map, you, you, you could see where these places are. It says that there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, because, and the reason they're furious is because they're thinking, hey, this should be the message of our Messiah to us. And we, what are we talking about these, these Gentiles for? We shouldn't be talking about these Gentiles. We should be talking about us. And that is why they became so furious, it told us in verse 28. 
It says all of the people in the synagogue were furious that they drove him uh, out of town, took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. There's lots of hills in, in Israel, just for the record. It says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And, and, you know, there are two ways of kind of viewing he walked through the crowd. Some read it as almost like he was a ghost walking through the crowd. Or I, I, what I think happened is there was such a tumultuous scene there. I think there was such a such an uproar, such a riot, uh, like you see sometimes at sporting events or, or large events, that people just kind of lost track of him, and he was able to slip away because of how uh, incensed the crowd was and almost like the, a rush of the crowd that he was able then to escape away. We pick up in verse 41, and it says, He went down to Capernaum, a town in the Galilee, uh, kind of on the north, let's see here, that would be the north east side of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and it says, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. And Sabbath. Uh, and this Capernaum is where Peter lived. Uh, this is where Jesus, this is the place Jesus would end up making kind of his headquarters, if you will. It says they were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. Uh, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon and an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Now, there's much in this little section here that uh, that we can discuss, that we can dialogue about, that we can cover. Um, first, being the type of person, in fact... Uh, now let me not go further. I'm, I'm going to stay right here in this little section, verses 31 through uh, 37, and we'll see if we press down in further. Uh, the miracles were substantiating the message. Uh, the miracles authenticated the authority that Jesus had. Uh, now, is that the only reason that Jesus did these miraculous things? I, I, I don't believe so. I, I believe he did them out of genuine care for the persons to whom he ministered, uh, as he did with this man with a demon. Uh, and as we will read, he heals many, which you see in the heading uh, in the next section. But he didn't heal all. Uh, and so, I mean... If Jesus intended to heal all, why didn't he? Um, maybe he, maybe that wasn't his intent to heal all people uh, that he encountered. He, he didn't get to everybody. And beyond that, he also had a ministry to hand off to his disciples. Folks, that's you and I, uh, the ministry passed down to us. So he had that approach. Um, he didn't heal all. In this instance, though, as he is in the Galilee, as he is in Capernaum, 
says verse 32, people were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. Now, if I were to speak to my fellow preachers, I think sometimes, and this this is going to be quite contrary to uh, much of what my contemporaries would say, uh, I, I think we put so much emphasis on sermonic development that sometimes we miss the simplicity of the authority that comes with the gospel message itself. Um, now, I, and I have great friends, people whom I love, respect, admire. Uh, I have keen affection for uh, people like David Christensen would be an example uh, with the Rephidim Project uh, down in the, more towards southern Maine area uh, and ex- extending where he teaches people how to preach. And he does so with a, a, a view toward disciple making and has written a phenomenal book. Uh, Jeffrey Arthur's a friend who comes from Gordon Conwell uh, and others who look at people like Spurgeon and whatnot. But friends, I think it is entirely possible that as pastors, we can put so much emphasis on, fine-sounding sermons that we missed the power of the message itself. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. And I think part of the reason it had authority is it had simplicity. He spoke to people in words they can understand. And and this is one of my arguments uh, against, this, this sounds funny coming from a Bible college president, but one of my arguments against so much of what we've done in, in Bible colleges and seminaries is we pump out people who know how to, and they think they should speak with these eloquent words and take people deep, deep, deep into uh, contact uh, the syntax and, and and the conjunctions and all that, that that are found in the deep study. Friends, that's, that, that's for the study, not for the pulpit. And uh, if I had people who were listening to me who were fellow preachers, I would say we need to make sure that our message is understandable for a sixth grader. I've always felt if a sixth grader can understand what I'm saying, that I'm appealing to everyone largely. We need to keep it simple. His message had authority. It was authenticated by the miracles. And notice, he hadn't even done the miracle yet. Verse 32 says they were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. I think it had simplicity. I I think he wasn't driving toward all the legalistic things that the Pharisees uh, had, had been driving toward and the teachers of the law had been driving toward. It was a much more simple. Now, in verse 33, we pick up where he authenticates the power uh, and the authority of his message. Verse 33, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, and he cried out at the top of uh, his voice. How, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, he's, there's a couple things in this little section here. Man possessed by demon. Uh, we, we tend not to think much about demon possession in our day. Uh, some, some groups do, and they go too far with it, I think. But then there are a lot of us that never ever talk about it. But sometimes, in some instances, I wonder if there are people possessed of, of, of demons. I, I, I do honestly, sincerely wonder that in some of what we label as being um, mental illness, emotional illness, sometimes I wonder if, in fact, it isn't any of that, but if, in fact, it is demonic oppression, demonization. Uh, some like to dig down to the words, you know, uh, p- 
possession, oppression, all those different things. Let's just call it demonization that kind of covers all of that. Jesus, the Gospels, speaks of Jesus encountering in the very synagogue. We think, well, they wouldn't come to synagogue. Oh, yes, they would. They wouldn't come to church. Oh, yes, they would. Absolutely. Uh, A person possessed by a demon, it says, uh, right here. And uh, the, the demon says, what do you want with us? Now, why does he say with us? I think he says with us because he is... Um, he's plural. Uh, you know, we, we, we talk about people that, that want to be called they in, in our culture. I mean, this whole LGBTQ XYZ group, uh, and they say, call, no, call me they. <laughs> that, that, that almost sounds like what this demoniac is saying here. And somebody might say, Jim, are you saying that you know, people who want to be called they or demon-possessed could be, folks. Actually, it could be. I, some would say, now you're getting crazy. Well, I don't know. I, I read it here in the text. How, what do you want to do with us? Right here, verse 34, what do you want to do with us? Call us they. <laughs> does that not sound like contemporary culture? It does. Could it be that some of it is demonically driven? Absolutely. Is it what we see in contemporary culture, popular culture, uh, the doctrine of demons? I would say, yes, it is. Absolutely. This one encounters Jesus. And friends, I believe from Jesus, we take the cue that that we have authority over over the demonic. And so Jesus says to him in verse 35, be quiet. Jesus says, sternly come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. He had to listen to Jesus. If we are right with Jesus, if we are walking with Jesus, we have authority in the demonic realm. And it says, all the people, verse 36, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? I mean, we would have that in our day. What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out, and it says, and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Would this not be newsworthy? I mean, what would get posted on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and uh, TikTok? If these types of things were happening now in other places of the world, they see these things happening in other places of the world. Uh, these things are happening because the authority of scripture needs to be established. We in the West think that the, the authority of scripture is just understood globally. Folks know it is not. I'm not saying it's not authoritative. I'm not saying that it's not the word of God. It is the word of God. It's active. It's powerful, sharper than any, any two edged sword. Um, But there is a major part of the world who doesn't believe that yet, uh, and it needs to be established. And so God does some of these miraculous things on mission fields in various places of the world. Things like we're reading here, these are the types of things that happen. Some of these things perhaps need to happen here uh, in America as well. But the people were absolutely amazed. Now, I'm going to... Let me just cover verses 38 through 41, okay? And then tomorrow we'll come back. It says, Jesus left the synagogue, went to the home of Simon, 
This is Peter. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. They asked Jesus to help her, so he bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to make pizza. Wait, doesn't say that. Began to wait on them. Uh, When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Now, Moreover, it says, demons came out of many people shouting, you're the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Now, there is much more that we can lean into in that section. The, the, the message established the message. Wait a minute. The miracles established the message. The message was established, authenticated by the miracles. That's what I'm trying to say here. Uh, and as Jesus did these things, people were like, wait a minute, there's something here we need to listen to. And this wasn't supposed to be a freak show, not at all. Jesus healed many people. He didn't heal all of them. And I will show you uh, tomorrow when we pick up from here, both from here, and then we'll compare back to Mark chapter 1, if if I remember that tomorrow, what Jesus does in response to this. But But Jesus authenticates his authority in the miracles that he did. Maybe we need to see more of that in our own day. Maybe we need to see Jesus doing these types of things for us today. Uh, but here in America, we have Bibles. We have multiple translations of Bibles. Uh, we have books out the ears. We have podcasts. We have broadcast. Uh, we have radio. We have television. We have so much at our disposal already, and yet we refuse to believe the message. Kind of like what Jesus would say. Listen, you had the prophets. You've had the scrolls, and what are you doing? You ignore all of it. Let's make sure that we're not the ones who are ignoring it. Now, for those of us that know Jesus, we, we learn from Jesus. Uh, we, we learn from Jesus to understand the demonic realm. Uh, we understand from Jesus how to pray prayers of healing over people. Now, there could be some people that begin praying prayers of healing over people that that God seems to work through them in a miraculous way, whether they have a gift of healing or not. Some would say, uh, uh, some would say that, uh, and Fran, I'll, I'll get to that question in just a moment. Um, now I forgot where I was going. Uh, he does all of these things. And and there are people. I know what I'm saying. There are people who would say, "Well, miracles aren't for today, or healing gifts aren't for today." I I, I don't stand there. Now, I don't think that um, they need to be poured out in in the measure that some think that everybody should have the gift of healing or the gift of tongues or gift of those those supernatural things. I I, I don't know the necessity of them in our day. Can God still give them? Yes. Does God still give them? I believe He does. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but we already have so much, and we ignore it all, uh, and we need to be convicted of that, and this is where we need the type of preaching that would bring conviction upon us. Now, the question is asked over in the comment section, um, says, he heals many with cancers and such, aren't those miracles? I, I Absolutely. I, I, I would say, yes, that they are miracles, but there are some people who would say, well, well God... You know, if God really loves us, he's going to heal everybody of all their cancer. Well, if so, I mean, why do we not? And I know we have part of our listening family whom we love, 
and say, well, as we pray over people, uh, we ought to be praying that God will heal them. We should. We ought to believe that God will heal them, and he'll heal them instantaneously. Sometimes God does that, but sometimes God allows people to go through suffering like cancer and such uh, because he wants to do something deeper in their life or in the lives of other people whom they encounter. Yes, those are miracles. Does God work through medicine? Yes. Now, there are people who say, well, we just need to pray and trust God, not go to doctors. I I, I reject that notion. Uh, I, I think that God has given us, in fact, modern medicine was the invention of Christianity. Uh, in many ways, in science, the invention of Christianity in many ways. Uh, and uh, we should be interested in those things. And God does work through those things. And sometimes he works through those things quite miraculously. And sometimes he heals people without uh, the intervention of doctors and medications and things of that nature. One of the points I'm making is that he did not heal Everyone. He left some of that ministry to the apostles. He leaves some of that ministry to us in our day. Um, and, and he also works through medicine. Uh, and the greater issue is someone can be physically healed. And there are people that we will encounter in our reading the Gospels who are physically healed who, who still reject the Messiah. They never come back. They never come back to give him praise. They never come back to bow down before him. And, and ultimately, the, the, the miracles substantiate the message and call people to response, call people to obey, and, and that's simply what we need to do. Well, friends, uh, I have filled up the half hour here, and uh, I just encourage you to, to read through this section of, of Scripture, uh, to think about healing, to think about miracles, uh, to think about how what Jesus was doing in performing healings and miracles and casting out demons, how does that fit in our day? Uh, and how did he use those things to substantiate uh, his message and to authenticate his authority? They didn't have Bibles. Uh, we need to understand, well, people could just go to the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. They had the Old Testament, and that had been silent. The Old Testament writers have been silent now for 400 years. He is doing a new thing, and perhaps he'll do a new thing in our day as well. So, friends, I, I get you into your day. Lord, where we need healing, we, we ask for your healing touch. Where we need the encouragement of the fellowship of the Spirit, we pray for the fellowship of your Spirit today. Where we need a fresh perspective, give us a fresh perspective, Lord, where we need spring added to our step. Because of discouragement, would you add uh, encouragement and spring to our step today? when we think about the wonderful relationship you've called us into with Jesus. Lord, hear our prayer for those who suffer. Hear our prayer for those with cancer that you would heal them or other infirmities, other illness, other sickness, or those who suffer, the Lord, that you would meet them in their suffering and be a father to them into whose lap people can climb to know the embrace into your bosom, Abba, Father God. Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I get you into your day. Have a great day. We will see you tomorrow.